Hey there, and welcome to the Jimmy's Table podcast at jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey. I'm curiously evangelical, politically homeless, and a dreamer of small things. On this podcast, I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. So if you have honest questions, aren't afraid to have difficult conversations, and want to have a little fun along the way, then pull up a chair. This podcast is for you. So if you haven't noticed, there's been a little bit of a uh, hiring frenzy going on in the, the world of retail and fast food and places like that. Um, and in today's episode 117, I want to talk about how my wife and I, we were out shopping recently. And while we were out shopping at a retail store, the manager of the store offered us both jobs on the spot. But before I get into today's commentary about my happenings from earlier this month when my wife and I are shopping, I just want to play this little inspirational clip from The Wedding Singer with Adam Sandler when he's at a job interview, trying to get a job. So let's go ahead and listen to this little clip real quick, just for, for a little chuckle. Do you have any experience? No, sir, I have no experience, but I'm a big fan of money. I like it. I use it. I have a little. I keep it in a jar on top of my refrigerator. I'd like to put more in that jar. That's where you come in. I mean, he's right, you know. That's that's why we all kind of work. I know I know lots of people want to say they work for a purpose and you know, they just enjoy their job and stuff like that. But come on, let, let let's be honest. We like money. We want to we want to put a little more of it in the jar above the uh, the kitchen uh, refrigerator and uh, you know, we want we want to we want to be able to have a little so we can fill that fridge up, right? <laughs> Keep a roof over our head. And, and that's that's our primary motivation in going to work every day, I, I, I think. At least at least I know it is uh, in part for me. But anyway, I digress. So, you know, here my wife and I, we were at this retail establishment here in Charlotte. Um, and we were just perusing. We were, we were going out shopping and having a little retail therapy. And, and by retail therapy, I mean my wife was shopping and I was supervising. I was providing the therapy, if you will. <laughs> Honey, please don't buy that. No, no, no. I kid, I kid, I kid. My wife is a fantastic shopper, very frugal. Um, just keep her away from the shoe section if you can. <laughs> anyway, um, so... You know, we were out having a little shopping fun and uh, just browsing in just this small little boutique shop that we uh, were in. And while we were in shopping at this store, we got a little taste of what it must be like currently in the retail space. Uh, the managers of the store started talking to us. Uh, was talking to us about the clothing, but talking about the clothing quickly somehow led to a discussion about how she'd been working six days straight and hadn't had time off in a while, was working around the clock, and was still looking forward to the yet future, um, which sounded like it might have been a little bit away, in which she dreamed of being able to go on vacation. And during this little pitch of telling us about her woes, she's like, hey, are, are you guys interested in working? My wife and I, we got a little chuckle out of it because my wife is an uh, educator. She works in a school system. Um, and I'm a, well, I like to joke about being a former big bad banker, but uh, I'm a mortgage underwriter for a living. Uh, I work at a mortgage company. So, no, we, we weren't interested in coming uh, to working in the world of retail. My wife and I, we've paid, both paid our dues in that industry. 
Uh, I, I worked in it for about five or six years, and my wife has a couple years under her belt in that world as well. Uh, and it wasn't a lot of fun back then, and frankly, sounding from the, the nervous, frantic nature of the manager's pleas that, you know, so she could make the pitch that if, if we would just come work for her, she could go on vacation, <laughs> um, which made me wonder if we get, if she got enough people, would she even bother showing up? Um, but anyway, so, you know, she made this pitch about not having worked or not having had time off in a while, still yet time forward. And she was uh, looking towards vacation, which seemed like a pipe dream at this point to her, but maybe something of a hope. If she could just, as she said, find some warm bodies to, to fill this store, she would be able to go on vacation. And so while we were shopping, she was actively recruiting. She should have told my wife about the 50% discount or something, I'm sure. That might have been a final hook uh, to at least get my wife in there in the summer months. Maybe. <laughs> Um, but you know, so it was an interesting thing because there's so much of this going on in America right now. We, we hear about it in the news all the time about how there's so many retail, fast food, restaurant, hospitality, and leisure type companies out there that are desperately trying to hire and they just can't find anybody. The Washington Post recently reported, and and I'm going to take some, a moment here just to read a little bit from the Washington Post. Um, uh, article. You can find the show notes, a uh, link to it in the show notes at jimmystable.com for episode 117. Um, but this little interesting news article I read in the Washington Post that got me to thinking and trying to understand the, the circumstances of this world that we're living in that would cause a manager to, you know, randomly offer to hire two people that she'd never met before on the spot just simply because we were warm bodies. <laughs> Um, so here it goes. Washington Post reports, and this article's from June. Hiring now signs are cropping up on storefronts and big and small as retailers scramble to fill openings. Many have raised wages or benefits to keep up. Target, Best Buy, Under Armour, and K Jewelers all recently increased starting minimum wages to $15 an hour, while Amazon.com is offering sign-on bonuses as high as $1,000 to new employees. Retail workers are drained from the pandemic and empowered by the strengthening job market are leaving jobs like never before. Americans are ditching their jobs by the millions and retail is leading the way with the largest increase in resignations of any sector. Some 649,000 retail workers put in their resignation notice this past April and the industry's largest one-month exodus since the Labor Department began tracking such data more than 20 years ago. It was a really dismal time, and it made me realize it wasn't worth it, said 23-year-old Aslan Potts of Murfreesboro, Tennessee, who left her $11 an hour job as an aquatic specialist at a national pet chain in April to focus on writing and art. My life isn't worth a dead-end job, she said. In interviews with more than a dozen retail workers who recently left their jobs, nearly all said the pandemic introduced them to the new strains already challenging work. Long hours, understaffed stores, unruly customers, and even pay cuts. Quote, We're seeing a wider understanding that these were never good jobs and they were never livable jobs, said Rebecca Given, a professor of labor studies and employment relations at Rutgers University. 
Quote, in many cases, the pay is below a living wage and the hours are inconsistent and insufficient. If anything, the pandemic has made retail jobs even less sustainable than they already were. It is too soon to tell, she said, whether the latest exodus reflects a long-term shift away from retail work. Some employees, for example, may return to the industry once childcare is more readily available and other pandemic-related challenges ease. But others are turning to industries where workers are in high demand and receive better pay. And that's the end of that article. You know, it's kind of an eye-opening article, and I think it definitely reflects the trend we're seeing. It definitely tells something of the story of what's happening in this retail landscape post-COVID, what's happening in the fast food industry post-COVID, what's happening in the leisure and hospitality I know there's no shortage of restaurants that I've attempted to go to um, in recent months that have had adjusted hours. Um, And even though they're open for business, you know, some of them are still even just carry out only or they've done away with their lunch shift or they've, you know, modified their menu because they're not able to get enough cooks to come in and and cook everything that they need to do and do all the food prep and, and all that fun stuff. Um, and I think if you're like me, you've probably experienced some of this too. And it can be a little hard to relate a little bit, I suppose, especially if you're like me and 39 years old, you know, a uh, working professional and having been established in the, the banking industry for, you know, over a decade now, um, you know, it makes me th- sit there and think about my struggles when I was in my twenties. I, I ended up working retail for almost five years and it wasn't exactly by choice. It was a it was a demanding job. It was a stressful job, and it didn't pay all that well. And the hours were up and down depending on the the uh, whims of the season and the demands of the store and what the store required. So you never knew how much you were going to quite get paid, what you were going to be taking home, and there was always a sense that your job, you know, could easily just go away. Um, and once you're in retail, in case you're not familiar with the retail industry, it is a little depressing because if you don't move up in retail to become like a store manager or, you know, something of that nature, it's kind of hard to get out of retail once you've been in it long enough, because all of a sudden people just look at you and think of you as nothing more than an individual capable of working at Target. Um, I can remember once actually in uh, my early thirties, I was at Lowe's or Home Depot trying to shop for something in the, uh, the home improvement lawn care section area of the store. And I was just looking and I was looking at some grills and looking at some smoker stuff because I love to grill. I love to smoke. Um, and, uh, all I was just sitting there looking up. It was just a day and all of a sudden, um, somebody came up to me and said, excuse me, sir, do you work here? And I was looked at them. And I was like, I don't have an orange vest on. I don't have a smock on. I'm not wearing khakis. <laughs> Why do you think I work here? And it kind of just kind of, you know, it caused me to chuckle inside a little bit. I was like, man, I've not been out of the world of retail all that long. And yet apparently I still must have retail written on my forehead. I must still smell of a stock room or uh, a register or something of that nature because it's just such a hard industry to get out of and it has a way of shaping you in some unfortunate way. And people just look at you and assume, hey, you must still work here. (laughs) Even though I never worked at Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever store 
I was in. I spent several years at the fabulous Target uh, Corporation. But I digress. So, you know, retail, not exactly the most fun job in the world. It's hard. It's stressful. And I can only imagine what people are going through now with the pandemic, coming out of the pandemic, um, and the frustration they must be feeling and seeing that so many other corporations and industries and places are trying to hire and that they're paying top dollar. Uh, it's no wonder a lot of people are not coming back to the world of retail and fast food and waiting on tables. And, you know, I know some people like to say that, uh, you know, government bailout programs and things of that nature are contributing to this kind of apocalypse when it comes to the employment section of retail, hospitality, industry, uh, food, and, and whatnot. And, and there is probably some truth to that, I think. I think, you know, if you do uh, give people a subsidy for long enough and you enable them to continue to not work, um, they will choose to do so even if maybe it's a little less than maybe what they were making elsewhere, but certainly if they're making more, um, because frankly, who wants to go back to working in retail or waiting tables or working a short order cook line at a Chili's or Applebee's? Not too many people sign up for those jobs because they just love that industry and just want to do that type of work, um, except for maybe some teenagers and early 20-somethings. They're just doing it because it's a job and they need to make money and it's, you know, the only way they know how. And that probably is why most, and not all, but why most people end up uh, in that industry. And, you know, like I said earlier, you end up there and it's, it's hard to get out. It, it took me five years. And even after I was in college and graduated college, I still had a hard time with a college degree in hand um, finding work outside of retail. Uh, it, it was a struggle. So I can definitely understand why people aren't exactly uh, breaking down the door trying to get a job again in those industries. I definitely know myself, personally speaking, um, although I'm not above doing any type of work, I've done um, some pretty terrible jobs in my life that paid abysmal wages. And, you know, personally speaking, I would rather work than not, even if that meant uh, giving up a government subsidy, but hey, that's just me. No judgment on those who, who choose not to. Um, but you know, I definitely understand uh, the sentiment there that people aren't exactly rushing to go back into these jobs and these industries. Uh, they're terrible. You get treated like garbage, and they don't pay very well on top of it. And you know, ain't nobody got time for that, right? Right. Um, so I know I definitely would go there only if it were the last thing that was available to me. It wouldn't be something I would exactly be beating down the door trying to get my way back into, um, even if I was a little on the desperate side. But, uh, you know, thankfully, I don't have to do those types of jobs anymore. Um, and even though I realize, you know, the job I have today, the blessing it is from the Lord, um, that it could just as soon vanish um, and I know what that's like, because like I've talked about in prior episodes, I know what it's like to be suddenly laid off in the first six months of my marriage. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I know what it is to struggle with job security issues and money issues and, and things of that nature. You can, you can look at all that up at jimmyscable.com for prior podcast episodes if you wish. Um, but, you know, so with all that said, though, we, this is kind of the landscape of the land. 
Um, but uh, there is maybe a little bright news. Um, the prior report that I read from was from the Washington Post at, in June. Um, I have a more recent article from CNBC um, that I just posted earlier this month in July that reports the following. The leisure and hospice... <clears throat> The leisure and hospitality sector again proved the brightest point of the Labor Department's monthly jobs report, with 343,000 positions added in June, as restaurants hired droves of cooks, bartenders, and service staff. The number represents the sector's second biggest print of 2021. As the industry that saw the most intense layoffs during the coronavirus pandemic, leisure and hospitality has posted a powerful rebound since spring of 2020. While the industry lost about half of its entire workforce between March and April of 2020, June's jobs report shows that it has now recouped some 73% of those losses. Leisure and hospitality is about 13% below its pre-pandemic payroll count at 14.7 million employees. Bars and restaurants alone accounted for more than 190,000 payrolls in June. So... What we saw in June, or what we saw in April with everybody resigning, uh, we saw the trend kind of spike back up in uh, the month of June with a record number of people going on to the employment roles uh, in those industries. However, there's still this little asterisk right here that says the leisure and hospitality industry is still about 13% below its pre-pandemic payroll count. And that's, I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty significant. And I think that's why in a lot of places throughout the country that you still see massive numbers of um, now hiring signs. That's why I could, my wife and I could walk into um, soft surroundings and Talbots and all these other places and be offered jobs pretty much on the spot. People begging us to come work for them. They didn't, they didn't care what we else we had going on in our lives. They didn't care about our backgrounds and what we did for a living past, present, or you know, what our goals were in the future. They just know they need warm bodies now and they're hiring and they're trying to make the offers as sweet as possible. But, you know, capitalism has a, a, a way of, uh, you know, kind of dampening that a little bit, I think, sometimes. As, as much as capitalism might... Um, you know, benefit some employers who can afford to be competitive in the labor market and, and to increase their wages and offer sign-on bonuses like many employers are due, which, is, you know, again, is a function of capitalism. Uh, you, capitalism allows you to compete for the best talent. And, and if it takes, you know, 15, 16 plus dollars an hour and signing bonuses to, to recruit that talent, well, people are going to do that. Um, but not everybody's one of these giant retailers who can afford to just raise their wages and put the other businesses out of business in the process. <laughs> um, you know, the capitalism that demands uh, wages go up also has, you know, expenses to worry about. And companies have to worry about, uh, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, the bottom dollar. 
Um, so while there may sometimes be a, a race for the proverbial bottom, so to say, and, and companies chasing to pay the, the lowest wages possible so that they can have the least overhead possible so that they can offer the best discounts to customers so that they can create the most revenues for their corporation and enrich their shareholders. Um, you know, while all that's going on, uh, you also have people saying, you know, well, while you try to be efficient, we're going to put you out of business. <laughs> and uh, that's what's happening. And, and sure enough, um, I've some. Uh, it's been reported recently here in Charlotte, at least. I don't know about other places you may live in the country or around the world. Um, but there's been a number of long-standing mom-and-pop restaurants in the Charlotte area, like Price's Chicken Coop, for example, which is you know one of the most famous fried chicken joints around in Charlotte. I personally thought it was overrated, but I digress. But I've been around 50, 60 years or something like that, and it was a it was a hot spot. Celebrities, when they came to Charlotte, when they wanted fried chicken, they'd go to Price's Chicken Coop um, and uh, that sort of thing. Well, because of the demand for increased uh, cost of employment and, uh, you know, having to pay more for employees and and also inflation stuff like we talked about in a couple of weeks ago on my podcast a couple of weeks ago. You know, all those things, and they just couldn't compete. They realized, hey, things are getting more expensive and we can't continue to sell fried chicken for an amount that people are willing to pay fried chicken for. Um, and so we can't compete with the, the bigger restaurants in town, the more expensive restaurants in town. And... Uh, you know, we, we, we provide quick, hot chicken at the end of the day. And uh, when you're just doing nothing but providing quick, hot chicken, it is a race for the bottom. Well, their way, race for the bottom for wages and expenses and all that stuff, you know, they eventually found themselves just not able to continue to operate anymore. And so family, little mom and pop style businesses like Price's Chicken Coop just close the doors. So that's where we are right now in America as we recover from COVID, as we recover uh, from the pandemic and all the shutdowns and, you know, the spikes in unemployment and now the, you know, surge to get everybody back to work. But now it seems like, you know, for all the leaps and bounds maybe we're making in some areas when it comes to wage growth and, and people finding maybe perhaps better jobs, we're also seeing some companies go out of business altogether. And if they go out of business altogether, well, then they won't be employing anybody. And while one might argue, well, who would have wanted to work at one of those places that couldn't afford to pay anybody um, a living wage? Well, I definitely feel that. I know what it's like to be in that situation. Um, I know what it's like to to receive suboptimal pay at a, a place of employment and not to be able to make ends meet. But, you know, as, as crappy as that was, I preferred it over the ultimate minimum wage. And that is zero. So, like, maybe you might be secretly on the sidelines cheering the demise of stores that can't afford to pay their employees more. And don't get me wrong, I understand it. I think it's terrible that places don't, pay their employees more. People should, you know, be paid a dignified wage. They should be paid what they're worth, not only what they're worth, but then some. 
employers shouldn't just be chasing the race for the bottom and trying to pay the bottom dollar. They should reward their employees financially. Um, it's the just and right and ethical and moral thing to do. But at the same time, as you have these wage battles going on, we have to realize that these wage battles and these employment issues are ultimately causing some stores to go out of business. I don't know about you, but I don't think that's a good thing when anybody goes out of business. Even if even if wages are suboptimal, you know, making subpar wages is better than making no wages at all. And I think that's something we ultimately have to think about as we try to consider uh, how our economy should be structured and how businesses should be run and what what role government has and all this sort of stuff and you know where we choose to take our business and and all that, those sort of things those 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 issues should weigh on us and we should not just cheer the headline um and say oh $15 an hour for everybody because i think when you realize at the end of the day yeah i i, I hope everybody makes at least $15 an hour i sincerely do but at the same time there's a lot of business out there that's suffering as a result of some people not wanting to come back to the workforce. Um, not only because wages stink, but sometimes those jobs, those pre-pandemic jobs, some of those jobs are gone forever. A lot of businesses went out of business during this past year because they couldn't endure the shaking that went on in our economy and with the pandemic and, and all the actions of government, even with bailouts and all that sort of stuff. They just couldn't make it. They couldn't find a way to survive. And if they went out of business, that means when they went out of business, every job that they supported, even even the not-so-glamorous, well-paying jobs, those went away too. I think we're going to see a little bit more of this in the near future. Um, And, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be worked out overnight. I hope it works out well for everybody. I hope... You know, everybody's able to find a job that pays them, uh, you know, that mythical living wage. <laughs> I don't even know what that term means. It's not an accounting term, by the way, Bernie Sanders, a mythical uh, thing. But uh, I think it's a good aspiration, just the same. Um, even I think if politically uh, some politicians get a little weird about things. Um, I'm with them on the sentiment, I will say, if not the technicalities. But I digress. So, everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, Jimmy's Table.com, episode 117. I just wanted to tell you a little story about how I was offered a retail job while my wife and I was shopping. And, and you know, hope it's giving you something to think about. If it's giving you something to think about, let me know. Email me, jimmy at jimmy's Table.com. Or if you've enjoyed this podcast episode and want to help other people think, um, you know, feel free to share this on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, if you haven't subscribed already, go to jimmystable.com slash subscribe, and you can find one of your many favorite ways to subscribe. You can do so through Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, SoundCloud, and all the other different ways you can subscribe to podcasts. Or if you're of an older generation that doesn't like all the subscription services uh, that come through all these podcaster services, well, you can be old-fashioned and sign up by email. Uh, there and get a weekly update when when I update my podcast and broadcast a new 
episode, you can just be able to go directly to the webpage at jimmystable.com and listen to it yourself. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com, episode 117. I was offered a retail job while I was shopping. Take care, everybody. God bless, and have a good one. That's all I have to say about that. That's the right on, man. You said it all.